This is Flyperbole with Steve Jacot and Craig Forsyth. Hello, Flyers fans, and welcome back to Flyperbole Under Quarantine, better known as The Fuck Show. Not safe for the children. Don't have the children listening to the hockey podcasts here. I am Steve Chico. This is Craig Forsyth. Welcome back to Fly Purpley Under Quarantine, where we discuss a single Flyers topic for an extended period of time. And Craig, guess what, pal? We have the rare opportunity here. We rarely do this on Fly Purpley or Fly Purpley Under Quarantine. We have a rare guest on the show today. How are you feeling about that, pal? Uh, I mean, not great. I like just doing the me and you thing, but I guess we'll have somebody else come in. That's fine. Let's uh, bring him in. Yeah, really psyching it up here. <laughs> Good God. No, I'm excited. I'm, uh, I, I, I want to bring on more guests, so I'm excited that he's uh, he's coming on, finally, after a yeah. long wait. So. If you have somebody to blame for the, the lack of guests on these shows, blame me. Don't blame Craig. <laughs> I'm just too lazy to organize anything. I'm lazy in general. This is what happens. But Hey, look, uh, you know, if you're going to say it, yeah, I'll go with it. Yeah, it is pretty much Steve's fault. So we'll start, we'll still get more on now. So, but I'm, yeah, I'm willing go. to cop to it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm very excited about today's guest. Uh, long overdue guest on uh, Fly Purbly. And uh, welcome Charlie O'Connor onto the show today. Charlie, how's it going, man? Hey, guys. Uh, it's cool to be on Fly Purbly. I guess this is the first time I've been on the show. And I guess. I have every intention of trying to steal your guys' thunder at every single moment <laughs> of this entire episode. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's what we like to hear. Just make There's it, not much thunder is, to steal. Yeah, there's going to be a Charlie's episode with us in the background. So he's going to go on for about hour 45, two hours on on the topic of uh, the Flyers today. So, Charlie, well, This is like, actually yeah. the, the Legends no? of the Hidden Temple episode, <laughs> ranking episode. Right? Oh yeah, just continuing, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just continuing the last two. Uh, apparently, just to go off that real quick, I did get some feedback, and apparently the uh, the purple parrots I, I don't think were that good, even though I thought they were I thought they were more successful than they were. Kind of a nostalgia thing. That's besides the point. But uh, are there that do, doesn't do, relate do they to keep records of this of like the best legends of the history? Apparently, I was because uh, we talked about it on Thursday, and then I had. Uh, somebody tweeted that to me today, I forget, and they were like, oh, you want to change that Purple Parrot's opinion? And then it was like an article. It was like, all the data from the winds of... I was like, holy shit. Okay, I guess somebody went back and actually, like, tracked... You know, somebody went back, too, because I don't think anybody's doing that live. We got, we got Legends of the Hidden fucking... Temple <laughs> analytics right here. Yeah, I, I was going to say the, the fancy stats team, so that'll probably be... That's where I'll go after hockey stats. Well, I'll go yeah, into if the, you look yeah. at the, the pendant per episode quota of the Silver Snakes, <laughs> good God. <laughs> Nerds! Yeah, it's a challenge right yeah it's gonna be I, I don't i can't even imagine what the article it's just gonna be an article from stephen birch that's who wrote that article but that's uh well i mean we that's not what, what we're, we're here. talking about today yeah, yeah. That, that is not what we're here to discuss today as as much as you know the public might want that but we are here to discuss uh i guess this was a joke i made a couple episodes back where you talked about gaffs i oh, jokingly yeah. said the great the great gaffsby but uh essentially yeah, we are here yeah. to look at the greatest flyers gaffs in history uh mistakes screw-ups uh fuck-ups if you really want to get dirty there about it but 
uh, as Doc Emmerich would say, Webster's defines Gaff as an unintentional act or remark causing embarrassment to his originator. A blunder. And well, at the end of the day... Doc Emmerich giving a best man speech, by the way, too. Open up that. <laughs> I'm in for that. Yeah, I, I just don't want to be at that wedding, but I want, yeah, yeah. I, look, if I invite Doc to my wedding... But not Pierre. Like no Pierre's allowed. I think it'll be fine. Uh, that's uh, okay. That is a recipe for success. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> we're, we're here to talk about some of the big blunders in Flyers history, and there's a lot. Specifically in the past twenty twenty five years, this <laughs> franchise started out so strong, and we have just hit so many bumps in the road in recent history. Yeah, uh, first expansion team that won the Stanley Cup, and then probably since then is when like all the. Uh, all the fun uh, started to happen. But for this, I mean, for this episode, I went back and I started thinking of random gaffes that the last, well, the three previous GMs have had. So all the uh, mistakes of Hextall, Holmgren, and um, Clark. And Clark, I don't remember as much because a little bit younger. But still got some big ones here, and I figured we would just go through them. And then what did we decide on? Decided for the top five gaffes in recent Flyers history, I guess. I think that's what would be a wise yeah, way to just really to cover you know, most of these in an organized fashion without complete pandemonium. You know, not quite the usual perps episode, but a little bit of structure, I guess. So, I, uh, I, were you gonna add something? No. Well, what I was gonna say is like, again, we've seen a lot of these in recent history, and we have discussed quite a few of these on recent Fly Perfectly Under Quarantine episodes where we've talked about uh, just some of the more recent happenings and. The, one of the first ones that comes to mind for me personally is the LaViolette firing. How Peter LaViolette was let go of this franchise only three games into a season, which is still just an absurd situation to me. And I just remember, again, everybody feeling very discontented about LaViolette's training camp at that point and how things are going and just the fact that he even made it to the season, let alone three games in. It's just kind of a sideshow. Yeah, I mean, I... Because at that point, too, if you either know you're committed to Laviolette for at least a chunk of the season, or you just get him out there after the, the shortened season that was 2013, there's no reason to only have him in there for three games and then fire him after that. And then that led to, like... I mean, Berube never really got... He was never the guy that was supposed to come in there, so I, I don't think he really got a true look from the Flyers upper management, perhaps. And then also that led to Hacks, the decision to bring in Hacksaw for that, too. So I guess the decision to not have a proper coaching search slash firing Laviolette early in the 2013 season kind of kind of impacted the team for a couple years after that. And it wasn't exactly the best decision at the time or afterwards. Yeah, to me, the biggest part of that gaffe of the, uh, the Laviolette getting fired three games in, it's kind of something that some I think a lot of people kind of forget is that the summer before they fired Laviolette, they went out and they signed Vinny LeCavalier. And one of the primary ways they sold Vinny LeCavalier on coming to Philly is how great of a fit he was going to be in Peter Laviolette's system, which lasted three yep. games before they fired him. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that would have worked anyway. Like maybe LeCavalier Le was just cooked regardless. But like yeah. – if you think there is any chance that you might fire your head coach immediately into the next season, maybe don't go out and try to sign a high ticket free agent thinking that he's going to fit that coach's system 
that you're not even fully behind. Yeah, I don't. Know. I I always forget that Laviolette or uh, Lacavia came here because of of Laviolette. That's just like a little like uh, you brought that up, Steve, a couple weeks ago because that was one of your like fly perfectly articles about Lacavia getting traded to Nashville, and I was like, all right, that's pretty good. He but demanded I, like, a I trade to Nashville because yeah, yeah like I forgot that he came. He wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, that's. I don't. I mean, he wouldn't have. I mean, I don't know. He was. Uh, he didn't obviously but demand right. the actual that's, trade, yeah. but yeah, like it, it was very obvious, and he had a lot of vocal, yeah, qu- or a lot of quotes about wanting to play with Le Cavalier, or I'm sorry, Le Cavalier wanting to play with La Violette, and the whole thing was just a complete debacle. And it that also, Le Cavalier yeah. signing is, you know, also on this list here as just a huge blunder, and I, I think that's one that we remember. That's an interesting one because people were kind of split on that when it happened, where there were certainly some people that thought, okay, well, let's see what he's got left in the tank. This might not be so bad. And there was not much left unless you consider 20 goals in a season, a lot left yeah. in the tank. So, so uh, LaCavia signed a five-year deal of $22.5 million, uh, $4.5 million cap hit when he was 33 back in 2013 and then scored. 28 goals in 133 games for the Flyers. Had, yeah, 20 goal season in 2013 uh, 14 somehow. But that signing was. I remember at the time I wanted defense and I thought LeCavier was pretty old. So that was my stance before LeCavier ever played a game for the Flyers. And it didn't exactly get better once he started playing games for the Flyers. So I don't remember. Um, I mean, yeah, Chuck, what do you remember about that? that signing back because that was March of 2013 like that was when the postseason was still going on that wasn't March 2013 that was like April or May before the, yeah, uh, the cup happened right well because they bought him out Tampa bought yeah. him out that's why he <laughs> should have been yeah. that was the big thing like that was the thing that really should have told everyone that like okay this guy's a franchise legend you know they took him first overall years ago he helped them win a cup like yeah. if they're buying him out he must really be cooked maybe yeah, maybe he's done. Yeah, maybe just don't sign that guy to an extremely shitty deal. But you know, that you know, it's your call. Do what you gotta do. But sometimes yeah. you just gotta Paul Holmgren. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes you gotta go nuts. Yeah. Just... Which by the way, the Paul Holmgren factor is gonna be I didn't realize one of the things I wanted to talk about from two thousand eight oh nine at the end of the season, I didn't realize it was because of how bad he handled the cap. But yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But well, Cavier <laughs> signing, I mean, that was his big that move or um well, I mean, Stu, did you want to add anything real quick? I was going to talk about that. Uh, well, I mean, the, Ca- the, the Cavalier trade. signing was so bad because, again, people at least like had expectations for him, and then they suck him on the second line with Shannon Simmons, and it just yeah. never worked for any of those guys. It was just a terrible combination <laughs> across the board. I mean, obviously Wayne Simmons still contributed, but a lot of that you know, was power play work and everything. It's just those guys just never clicked together in any way, and then it was just celebrated when Hextall was able to just dump that contract on the Kings. <laughs> but it was, yeah. oh, it was terrible yeah. move. And well, I, I guess again, it, it just comes down to, they underestimated just how much Vinny had left in the tank. And maybe it's just all scarring from 2004. Just remembering how much he killed. His back then. <laughs> <laughs> and he's never like paid it back. It was just 10 years later. It just didn't feel like we were getting the worth of uh, Le Cavier. He yeah, was, uh, I mean, he's so I mean, slow. I guess the thing is, he's like, so slow when he was in Philly. As slow yeah, as he was, both. and as bad as he was, and it was not a good move by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not even sure this makes 
the top five as far as so the, the gaffs go because there's so many yeah. other, especially in the Holmgren part. Because what people appreciate about Paul Holmgren was that he went for the fences, but it was swing, it was swing and a miss or a home run every time because it was either yeah. just a huge miss. And as we discussed before, you know, he, he started out so well with a lot of great little moves. And then it just got worse and worse and worse as he dug that that cap hole for himself. Yeah. And then well, you know, I, yeah. look at some of these other moves here. I mean, you've got you've got the Richards Carter trades, which I think we have debated to death. We've beaten that horse. We've nuked it from space. I, I maybe don't even want to discuss the Richards and Carter's trades, but the yeah, the Brizgalov signing no. I think yeah. is without a doubt a top five all time Flyers gaff. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a terrible, the deal was terrible. And I, I was looking at it today. This would have been the last year he would have actually played for the Flyers, 2019-20. So it would have been ending this Yeah, this season if they had actually stuck with it that entire time, which was just fascinating. And it's always funny because I think, I think Steph or somebody brought it up like a couple weeks ago. But like when you go into a, or maybe in you, Steve, you bring it up on, uh, if you go to like the Broad Street Hockey, like dashboard, Travis's article that's supposed to publish in like, seven years about when the Brisk golf contract line is still there. Like it's the only thing, it's the only thing I it think. Gets me every time. Is, yeah. It's still like seven years out, but it was just the pieces that went into that trade too. Cause they traded for Brisk golf's uh, uh, signing rights. So they traded uh, Matt Claxton, which, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that trade. Uh, 2012 third. Yeah. Oscar Sunkfist, who was actually a tangible player in the NHL. And then 2011 third, which became a Harrison grew up who I, I don't think he became, he, never, he didn't become anything. I think he's still in the AHL. Um, but he gave up pieces to make that big of a deal, and you had to clear the cap space with the Richards and Carter uh, deals. And, yeah, like you said, we've talked about Richards and Carter deals a million times, especially considering there hasn't been live hockey for, like, three months now. So we've talked about that a bunch. And it's, uh, you know, I, I guess either way can still, I think a pretty good argument can be made that they came out on the right side of both those trades still, even though they didn't, ultimately like the Kings feel like they won those trades because they won cups and they should, but I still feel like the value the Flyers got back wasn't shitty, you know? Sure. And, uh, I mean, you can argue then, the value uh, all day, but the, the fact yeah. remains that the ultimate goal was to get Is Ilya Brisgalov and that's really where the, the big error <laughs> lies. Right. Yeah. I mean, Charlie, yeah. how did you feel about that deal at the time specifically before we saw exactly what Brisgalov was? Like, how did you feel when they, they made that deal in the first place? I remember hating it. I, one, the one thing I remember <laughs> thinking going into that was that if I remember correctly, Tomas Vokun was going to be a free agent that summer as well. Yep. Yeah. And I remember thinking that's who I wanted. Because like, everybody kind of figured that like they were going to get a goalie because mm-hmm. Snyder was just sick of the bullshit, and he's like, we're getting a goalie. And I remember thinking Vukun's just as good as Briz – and he's probably going to be a lot cheaper. Why don't they just get that guy? But Snyder <laughs> was just so dead set on getting the biggest name that they had no interest in Bokun. It was just all about Brzezgalov. And, like, this, this was – I always feel weird when people are like, oh, this is one of Holmgren's biggest gas. Because, like, well, yeah, he was the GM. But, like, this was all But Snyder. he got – this yeah. was This was all Snyder. Um, you know, it, it's – and I think we're going to talk about this, like, in the next couple minutes, but – to me, like the reason why this is such a big gaffe, it's not it's not really the contract. Because like, yeah, the contract's terrible and like we all know that Briz didn't work out and whatever. But like 
teams give out bad contracts. It's just is kind of what happens. It's the fact that like the Flyers spent basically twenty plus years after like Ron Hextall came back to earth and wasn't a superstar like they thought he was gonna be at the start of his career. They spent like twenty plus years trying to find that answer in net. And they actually found him as Sergei Bobrovsky. And then they gave up just as they were about, like they had him and they're like, nah, we're not willing to wait. Let's go out and papers golf an insane amount of money. And then within two years, Bobrovsky's winning the Vesna on another team because they had to trade him because they had Ilya golf for nine years. Like that to me is the big part of the gaff. Absolutely. Like they gave him the one season they gave, they gave up (laughs) one season and just one bad playoff. Well, I guess that's it. Yeah, that is Steve. No yeah, Steve likes to mention that. Uh, that is a good point that Steve brings up a lot too. I was gonna. I'm say... gonna get should have kept Bob tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. So for me, when that gets, and by the way, I have it. On the outline, I have it underneath Holmgren. I mean, that is a good point. It wasn't really Holmgren's gaff. It was more Ed Snyder was kind of pushing his hand there. And I think the gaff was created. I like to pinpoint it back to Peter Lagolev's goalie management in games one and two, or game two, really. It was game one. The Flyers lost a one nothing game. I, what's, I don't know what Bob could have done there. And yeah. then there's a three. Yeah, I mean, like, he could have not given up a goal, right? He could have also gotten a goal in support. And then game two was they went down three to two in the first. And you go back and you look at those goals uh, the Flyers gave up. One was like a 2-0. Another one was like a third rebound when defenseman had cleared out. It was wasn't really his fault. It was a momentum-changing type thing. There he switched goalies, and then he just... Bobrovsky lost the crease right then and there. In a series, the Flyers really weren't losing handedly. And then and that was pretty much the end of Bob's time in Philly. And that was after, like you said, he had a ridiculous 2010-2011 season. Like, his numbers, I don't think, were off the charts, but... If, remember those games he would always have one or two critical saves that were just didn't make sense throughout that season whenever the team needed it like it was always a huge crawling save or something and you knew the athleticism and the talent was there and then they just yeah they got i don't know ed snyder was getting too giddy or anxious about stuff so but my that's my that would be my big gap would be the uh or i think it's a top five gap is lobby uh decision to pull bob in game two it's a it's a uh, because it, I think it starts the domino effect of a bunch of stuff we've been talking about, and then also, I mean, you know, the Flyers are still looking for a goalie that might have it now, uh, but it led to the Riches and Carter trades, and we're still talking about the effects of that. So that would be one of my, uh, that's my big gap out of that whole. Well, it basically comes down to the entire handling of Sergei Bobrovsky. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's that's like, really what it is. It, it, there's so many pieces, right? It's it's Laviolette's handling of him that series. It's Ed Snyder deciding he's not the guy based off one playoff series. And yeah. it's then the decision to get Ilya Brzezgalov and then trading Bobrovsky for not a whole lot. God, and it was, they came up on Bob so quick too. Like that was... Well, that. So that's one thing that like I won't blame them on. Because, I mean, I blame them on just giving up on him in the first place. But so Jay Greenberg did that, like, Flyers at 50 book that was really good, like the coffee table book. I think he released mm-hmm. it in, like, 2016, yeah, 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 yeah. 2017. And in there, he had a tidbit that I didn't know, which was basically that – so Bob plays his first year. He's basically the starter. His second year, he's the backup to Briz. And then apparently after that season got done, he still had one more year left on his ELC. And he basically went to the Flyers and was like, look, you guys have Briz signed forever. If I'm not going to be the starter in Philly, 
I'm just going to go back to Russia when my contract's done and just play in Russia because I'm not I'm not staying here. I'm not resigning with you guys because they would have still had his yeah. rights as an RFA. He's like, I'm not resigning you guys just to be a backup for the next decade, which is understandable. So, like, they were kind of stuck in that, like, they'd already hitched the ride to Briz. Yeah. And there's only so much they're going to get for him from there. Like, the, the trade was terrible, but, like, the problem was giving up on him in the first place, you know? Hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. And, yeah, I was going to say that you're still alluding to the, the Briz Golf contract very much. Like, it just wasn't, yeah. Nine it years. Been, nine years is a lot. Yeah, I forgot it's, <laughs> He was 31. I forgot it's $51 million too. I remember there was a time. They are paying that man until the year 2027. Yeah, which is the fascinating He gets a regular $1,642,857 payments until the year 2027. I remember there was a point in time where the Flyers had traded for Mason and they still had Briscoff on the books. So there was a time where we had to think of, like, do we want Mason or Briscoff in that? Like, that was, a, that was a serious question we all had to ask yeah. ourselves in, like, 20... Yeah. yeah. So, like, that... And because it, it was like, well, do we want Mason? We might be able to rebound. Or Briscoff, who, if he sucks, well, he's on the book for, like, the next two decades. So... And then I think everybody was like, yeah, may as well buy now. <laughs> but uh, that's... Uh, well, I will say yeah, on that Mason deal, too, that, that Mason one was one where I was very bad. skeptical about them getting him. And I was like, oh, oh is this I... going to make up for that? And it actually worked out <laughs> for the most part. You know, whatever yeah. your feelings are on Steve Mason, he had some very good save percentages and certainly carried this team at certain times with garbage defense. Yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, I, I was kind of all right with that trade originally. I didn't think it was going to be. I thought it was a nice buy low, like, because uh, I, I think they only gave up like a fifth. And they they traded Layton, right, in that deal? Layton, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Layton. I think of, like, something else. Yeah, for, yeah that's right. I remember when they, uh, the going back to that uh, that Buffalo series, remember when they threw Michael Layton in? Yeah, like, yeah. They literally, yeah. They, he hadn't played pretty much that entire year for the Flyers, yeah, and they just, like, pulled him out of mothballs and were like, yeah, you're our goalie for game six. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know what happened to Laviolette that series. He was just like, like, I just, like, after game four, I just pictured, like, cut to him in a locker room. He's like, ties all He looks like Burke. He looks like Brian. And he's just like, I, I fucking put Layton in. I don't know anymore. He's just, like, throwing all these options out the wall. <laughs> it was like, why? You had two, you had Bob, yeah, and Boucher. That wasn't that bad. But he just... If he could have just if he could have just kept his shit together in that series, I think the Flyers timeline would look a little different. But so God, I, yeah, pulling back the Michael Layton in that series was fucking. It, it, that was mind boggling. Let me say, like I, I remember, think he started game six. I think he, he started, started game six. six. Well, because he came in midway through game five, because I think they yeah, pulled and I was there. <laughs> yeah, remember, yeah, so you yeah, would know. Was, was and then there, they started yeah, him in game six. Game six in Buffalo, I'll never forget it because it was Easter Sunday. It was a day mm-hmm. game. And I had to go to my aunt's house because it was like family dinner or whatever. And I'm watching this game and you find out that Michael Layton's starting and I'm living. It's Michael freaking Layton. And then he proceeds to do what do what Michael Layton does, which is be terrible in the first period. And I'm just losing my shit <laughs> it was... in, in my aunt and uncle's like living room. And my uncle is so much not a sports person. Like he's very much like a music guy. Like he plays guitar, like super into the Beatles. Like he yeah. pays attention to sports because his kids do, but that's really it. And he's just coming down like every couple minutes from the kitchen 
and very like disapprovingly like shaking his head at how seriously I'm taking this. <laughs> and, and finally, like at the end of the first period, he does, he says the one thing you never say to a sports fan when they're in that mood, which is why are you taking this so seriously? It's just a game. Yeah. And yeah. I was going to kill him. Like my mom <laughs> literally had to get in between us because I was going to kill him. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> it's just a game. Uh, Shut up. <laughs> you don't know it's me. The wor- it's the worst question to ask at some times. Yeah. Just the, at the worst time, it could be not not the best question. But that's, that's a pretty good story. Oh my God. I, yeah, I remember it being Easter Sunday, too, because I remember watching it at my fucking family's place. And almost, I remember I was sitting on the couch, and I had my arm around my ex-girlfriend at the time. And when Lano scored, I accidentally, like, 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 put my arm around her like started screaming she's like oh no and i was like oh yeah well sorry i got caught up in the moment sorry about that didn't mean to like kind of <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good it was a good uh it was a pretty good game though but that uh yeah going back to fucking Modulite and managing like we don't michael layton at that yeah and like yeah because layton was in uh overtime of game five too i remember get that fucking fat ass rebound to ennis it was like one of the worst rebounds i've ever seen in my life and that was uh yeah that was the end of that game but I mean, uh, so the other big, I mean, I was gonna try and transition this to another half unless you guys had, uh, unless you guys. Oh no, I think we. Oh, okay, I was gonna say yeah, the, the resources uh, on that one. The final, the final gap of his tenure, I guess, or the the second. The final. Would be, uh, <laughs> like four more, here, buddy. <laughs> Oh no, like, no 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 no! The final gap in Holmgren's tenure though was probably the McDonald trade, was it not? The trade and extension, because after that was when Hextall yeah. came in. On the yeah, outline, yeah, true. he's got more going on. But I'm talking about chronologically in his career. The last thing he did was, yeah, let's lock down McDonald forever. That yes, was the, and yes. then and the, then Snyder was the like, final, okay, we probably need some new eyes in here. Yeah, the final Paul but, Holmgren Ron Hextall collaboration oh mixtape was yeah, quite did. a disaster for all parties involved, <laughs> except for Andrew McDonald, who you know made out pretty freaking great from it. By the way, I got okay, and I'll go over the so the trade originally was to the or yeah to the Islanders. Uh, trade deadline day 2014 matt mangine who defenseman don't worry about it you don't need to know um 2014 third uh Ilya sorokin who has become a pretty good prospect for the islanders and we might see next season year after that i don't know maybe uh 2015 and a 2015 second which was then traded to uh the bruins and they selected uh brandon carlo so you know the flyers could have used these picks for actual tangible things to put on the ice and instead they were like yeah let's lock up andrew mcdonald until we all to die. be fair so, uh, they did trade them for an actual tangible thing on the ice because andrew yeah. McDonald loved being on the ice completely he did love the starfish on the ice yeah, yeah. that is true that's a fair point yeah he did like to did like to you know you can't argue spread with that it out there, there yeah i'm just yeah he, not a lot of skating just being on actually on the ice yeah so and then i uh, signed i'll that never infamous, uh, i'll never forget deal running the Flyers Faithful Twitter back when Flyers Faithful was a thing and not knowing shit about Andrew McDonald and knowing that he was one of the the guys that they were targeting. And I put out like a poll question saying, oh, should the Flyers get Andrew McDonald or this other guy? And I never got bombarded on Twitter with just, are you shitting me? Are you an idiot responses <laughs> like this? Like I realized very quickly what a mistake I had made and it was not pleasant. I mean, the only thing I remember earlier in 2013-14 with Andrew McDonald, 
I saw he had a lot of ice time earlier in the year because I remember like I was in some fantasy hockey league and I was like, "Hey, this guy's got a lot of ice time. He sucks at everything else." But and I was like, I was thinking like maybe that guy can just play on the back end and log a lot of minutes. And then when I heard his name pop up in trade rumors later in the year, I started looking at him. And I was like, everything about him is just everything sounds like a red flag. Like everything about his gameplay and like his uh, like uh, possession numbers and everything just didn't look good. And then he came here and it was uh. It was a good time. I mean, he gave us a lot of memories. It wasn't, it weren't like in wins and stuff or like playoff games memories, or anything. But... but like, we remember a lot of stuff and we can talk to like other Flyers fans about it. I don't know what to say. Like, that's what, and like, there's nothing, anything we say about him, it doesn't, he, I don't care. Like, his feelings can't be hurt. He's made 30 million. He can give me, he hasn't given me $30 million Still a for human six years. Being and you see, yeah, I, I don't care. I hear a lot of shit all the time here. I mean, I'm not getting paid $30 million. I'll take, I'll take that. If that's, you know, so he's fine, is what I'm saying. And uh, I just don't, yeah, that was, I want to say, I still think, I mean, I still think the the goalie manager back in 2011 may still be worse than the Andrew McDonald situation, all things considered. I don't know. Like, the McDonald trade and signing were terrible, but I think the goalie conundrum created a lot more issues for the team. That was a bigger gaffe, but... It could be up. I think it's probably up there for top five, but it might be. Yeah, it's hard because, like, on one hand, I in a weird sort of way, I can sort of. I think I think the goalie gaff is objectively worse and more damaging, but I can sort of see where the Flyers were coming from there. Like, it obviously worked out terribly, but like Briz wasn't supposed to be that bad. And Bob could have went in multiple directions with his career. Like, obviously, he ended up being great. But it wasn't a guarantee he was going to end up being great. And it wasn't a guarantee that Brzezgoff was going to end up being bad in Philly. Whereas with the McDonald trade, like, anyone that paid the remotest bit of attention to numbers knew he was bad. Anyone. That all you needed to do was be, like, the the slightest believer in analytics. And you knew he sucked. (laughs) And the Flyers just like, nah. Nah, you numbers people are idiots. We know what we're talking about. We know how to evaluate defensemen. And, like, that's honestly one of the few good things, I think, that came out of the McDonald signing and contract and tenure is that, like, there couldn't have been a better sales job for Flyers fans to believe that analytics were worthwhile (laughs) than, like, all of us screaming that this contract is a bad idea and then being immediately proven right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and before this – Typically, when you have like an analytics guy saying that a defenseman's bad and the perception going the other way is, no, he's a defensive defenseman. You don't know what you're talking about. It's usually like a big guy, right? Like a I'll just throw Nick Grossman out there as a name, even though he wasn't good for anybody's stature. But (laughs) regardless, like typically those guys at least hit. They at least can be a physical presence in the crease. And McDonald, bad advanced stats wise and just so physical like painful to watch do his thing but still some people convince themselves that he was, was a heart and soul yeah. guy because he was diving around out there like crazy but it's yeah yeah, yeah. and i to go back to charlie's point too i felt like he was a good example of just sometimes people there doesn't matter what you say or what is actually out there some people are just going to argue a fact just because i don't know what redeeming quality mcdonald not even trying to be sarcastic because like the leadership evidently wasn't there 
he got caved in possession wise. And like when people talk about block shots, it wasn't like he was doing it every shift or like saving goals and he was getting dragged into the zone. So it's just a lot of people wanting to believe that what they're hearing was just wrong as is, I think. But it did a lot. Yeah, it did a lot for advanced stats because because at the time it was people like Charlie and I was I used to not be a big fan of him at the time too. And I was like, he's top he's like one of the worst five defensemen in these stats in the league. And people are like, you guys are over exaggerating. I was like, no no no. He literally is one of the worst. And like he was just at the bottom of the league and like a lot of stuff and people are like, oh these stats people are over exaggerating. It's like no no he's literally like you don't you'll say. And then everybody saw <laughs> So it was yeah. That was a... Uh, yeah, but at the time, you're right. Like, that was a big... I don't remember anybody that day. Because leading up to that trade deadline, everybody was like, we don't... Please don't do this. And then he made the trade, and then he made the signing. And then, like, a month later, I was like, all right, let's see what Hextall can do. Let's see what this is all about. But, um... I mean, uh... The other gaps, too. We already talked about LeCavier, right? We talked about Vinny. Uh, yeah, the Pronger extension here, and... I think it ended up working out fine, but it could have been really disastrous. What? Like we kind of yeah. av- avoided like a, a, a bullet there, if you will. Yeah. No, I mean, well, so yeah, it was because they were able to get that. Um, they were able to make the trade to uh, Arizona eventually. Cause if they didn't make the trade to Arizona, they, he would have been on the cap for another couple seasons. And then it would have been a whole deal, but it was pretty much the fact that Arizona just likes to eat contracts every once in a while. And that was our, that was like the Flyers host or a dad's who deal pretty much. But it was the fact that they signed the, um, uh, like they signed the deal with Pronger, I think like a couple of weeks before we turned 35. So then there was the confusion about the language of if he retires during that deal and then are the Flyers are still going to be on the hook with it. So it was a thing at the time they made the, the trade and then they did the signing and it was this big deal to lock him up. And then it was like, oh, don't you guys remember the over 35 rule? And then the Flyers had to build a little bit of, oh, no, we totally remember that. And it was like, did you? Because, like, this is a. Yeah, I think this sort of gets lumped into what was absolutely a major kind of continuous gaffe of the early Holmgren era, which was the Flyers front office at the time very clearly did not fully understand the intricacies of the CBA. Like, that's what happened here. Because the, what, what fooled them on this one was that they signed Pronger when he was still 34. But his contract wasn't going to kick in until the next season. And they thought oh, that, well, yeah. because we signed him when he was 34, it doesn't matter that the contract starts when he's 35. And that then the league's work. like, no, sorry, you're just outright wrong. That's not what the CBA says. And the Flyers just basically were like, oh, shit, whoops. But this wasn't the only <laughs> time that Holmgren's front office just – completely misread the cba like there was that uh there was that guy they tried to sign in training camp that one year um the prospect and then they found out like they basically already agreed to a deal and then they found out they actually weren't allowed to the guy who ended up on, on vegas and he got a couple games with vegas like years, oh Heike. Years later. thomas Heike? yeah thomas yeah Heike. yeah yeah, yeah, him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, that was like classic paul holmgren just completely his front <laughs> office completely misreading the cba you have on here the uh, the Andreas Nodal uh, no, yeah, interest, yeah. like, but Which... this was just like I just lump all of those together into Paul Holmgren and his people not fully understanding the CBA. Yeah, no, and the Nodal on waivers is a good one, and that's one. Yeah, it was a lot of just it was a lot before I guess. You can the read CBA that whole thing. Was, Come on, 
<laughs> it was like, well, because I remember at the time too, it was like, uh, uh, Cap Geek wasn't really that flush with like CBA stuff at the time. Like Cap Friendly, you can go back and look at stuff in the CBA, and it's all really drawn. But I guess at the time, there's still some like murky areas, and that was like. There was a lot of questioning of, like, the Flyers organization, like Chuck just said, like, yeah, you guys, dude, I don't know if you fully... Like, the Nodal one was just, I don't understand why you do that at all. I guess the assumption was just no GM is going to be... He maybe put out something to, like, the other GMs and was like, hey, if you guys want this guy he's available, and we'll show you that we're serious about him being available, and then he just put him on waivers, and then Jim Rutherford was just like, no, fuck that, we want Nodal. And he just picked him up. <laughs> or it was just like... Like, if it was supposed to be, like, a collective, you know, honorable rule to GMs of, like, look, I gotta do this, so I don't get this held against the, whatever, and then he just picked him up. Or it was just like, fuck it, nobody's gonna take him, and then he ended up losing him. So, one way or another, it just wasn't... That was just a fascinating thing, though. Because yeah, it was... Yeah. Like, I don't know if that was the nodal thing. I don't know if that was actually he misread the CBA or if it was just that he made a stupid comment. I, like, yeah. It's hard It's hard to tell in that situation because, like, obviously I wasn't there. Like, he may have just said, well, we're gauging interest just because he thought that was the nice way to say we don't give a shit about this guy. <laughs> and then everybody just jumped on it. Like, holy yeah, shit, he thinks, putting a guy on, he, he thinks putting a guy on waivers means, like, he can pull him back. Because like you can do that in a in baseball, you can put a guy on waivers, and if he gets claimed, you pull him back. And the way he worded it, oh, it seemed like Holmgren thought he could do that here. So, oh, back okay. that's, that, that's not the rule in the <laughs> NHL and the CBA. But it very well could have just been like he was just trying to say it in a nice way that like they just didn't give a shit about Andres Nodal anymore. Yeah. I just I remember going back to Hika. So Broad Street Hockey at the time, this was like when you had, you know, Eric Tolsky was still there. And there were a lot of commenters who were really, really, really in-depth. Like Eric T got picked up as a commenter. He wasn't like a writer that they grabbed. Like he was just a really smart commenter that Travis offered a job to. And there was this uh, there was this commenter on there called Dragon Girl. And she's like Dragon Girl and some numbers. Oh, Everybody yeah. I, Dragon Girl. Yeah. And she was like either a lawyer or just loved delving into the intricacies of the CBA. And when they tried to sign Hika, like all the beats, just like they were told by Holmgren that were signing him. So they all reported it. And she kind of jumped in the comment section there and was like, I don't think they're allowed to do that. And then she went on this whole big thing explaining why the CBA didn't allow them to do that. And then, like, a day later, the Flyers acknowledged that they weren't allowed to do that, which was hilarious <laughs> that, like, a commenter on a blog had a better understanding Later. of the rules of the CBA in this case than the team. And there that was go. just – anybody who had a lack of faith in Paul Holmgren at the time, that just fed into it. Like, holy shit, yeah. a brushered hockey commenter knows more than the general manager of our team about the collective bargaining agreement rules. Oh, my God. I remember, I remember that name. Uh, well, Dragon Girl. I remember like hearing her name from Balshiak. I didn't know that was like the big thing with her. Was uh, <laughs> the Tom's oh, yeah, like situation? Like the, she was yeah. like the CBA Seeker, yeah. yeah. Like you want to talk about something crazy. that just shows the paints the picture of the the Holmgren. I'll say administration for lack of a better term, but Holmgren's tenure <laughs> with the Flyer. Like this really shows it right there. <sighs> yeah, the CBA stuff was brutal with him. Yeah. But I I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk now about maybe the one that Bobrovsky annoys the shit out of me, but I think there's one other one that really gets me at the end of the day and annoys the shit out of me and makes me just, ooh, furious. And that would be the Luke Shen for JVR trade. That one, 
it's it, Luke Shen for JVR straight up is an actual trade that happened <laughs> at a time that the league was clearly moving away from slow, big crease clearing defensive and the flyer said, no, 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 bring him, bring him to us. We'll, we'll take him all. Thank you. By the way, I don't know. I don't know if people on Twitter are going to agree with this based on uh, how they feel about JVR. They're going to feel like the gap is going to be that signing from 2019. I don't know if they're, I agree with you, cause, but I still think some people still don't like JVR because he doesn't, uh, I don't know. Goal scorers are streaky. There, there you go. That's he what the... <laughs> he doesn't hit, and you know, he yeah, doesn't, he doesn't look like he cares, right? Yeah that's, pre- yeah, that's pretty much what it is. He doesn't have the look of a guy that's supposed to be as productive as he was, but he was creating chances this year, What no matter what people say. But yeah, that trade was fucking... Well, because also at the time, too, they could have done JVR for Keith Yandel, and again, you know, maybe not... The ideal trade, but still, I think I would have had Keith Yandel for a couple years than uh, than Luke oh, Shen. Yeah. Maybe not the contract after that, yeah. But I mean, easily, it was just the idea of they needed they needed a shutdown. They needed a defenseman. They needed a top end defenseman that summer, and they were willing to do whatever they wanted to get it. And uh, yeah, that was the Holmgren. That was the Holmgren uh, end result right there. Uh, it, was, it was not great. <laughs> so I remember this pretty vividly because this was the first. The 2011-2012 season was the first season that I, like, kind of covered the Flyers. I was uh, – I, I started my own blog at the beginning of that season. It was right after I graduated college. And then I ended up getting picked up by uh, this website called The Hockey Guys. It was run by this guy, Dustin Lead. And he got me credentials. Oh, yeah. So I was, like oh, – yeah. it was, like, the first time I was, like, hanging around the press box – and hang. I actually, in the beginning, I actually had locker room access. They pulled that eventually, but for like a few months, I had locker room access. And I remember hearing in like February of that year, before the trade deadline, that the Maple Leafs had offered Luke Shen for JVR. And I remember thinking, I, I wasn't even like, I, I didn't get this from a source. Like I heard this from another another writer. Hmm. And I remember asking him like. Well, they're, they're not going to do that, right? And he's like, no, it was a terrible trade. Why would they ever do that? <laughs> Little did that guy know. Little did that guy know. Well, then what supposedly what like was the driving force behind it was, so the Flyers, they go, they play Pittsburgh in the first round. They have that insane series. And then they go play the Devils. And they win game one in overtime. And they lose four straight. They, they go out. And apparently, I think it was like Eliash. I think it was Eliash after the series. They asked him, like, why are you guys able to take apart Philly, like, so easily? And he had said that it was a lot easier for us to forecheck them because they didn't have any right-handed shooting defensemen, so we just attacked their the defenseman who was on his offhand up oh, at the man. point, and they had no answer for it. And I, to this day, I remain convinced that, like, that Shen deal was just on the table, and Holmgren was like, well, shit. We need a right-handed shooting defenseman. <laughs> Who can we get? Luke Shen, you're a flyer. <laughs> Come on down, Luke real, Shen. That's some real chestnut checkers, if I may see, move from Patrick Elias right there to set the seed of, like, oh, well, if they had a guy like Luke Shen, we probably would have lost this. Like, that's a real, that's a smart move. The flyer should plan to, like, Kevin Hayes should just say stuff like, well, 
I mean, if the Rangers had a guy on defense like Roman Polak and not a soft forward like Panarin, maybe we like maybe they would have beat us in the series or something. Like that's what the I Flyers. I think we need to retroactively from. go back and put Patrick Elias' as number one on the Flyers killer list. <laughs> yeah, we cannot. <laughs> Sorry, I Sid, you're you're removed, Sid. It's Patrick Elias now because it's that Patrick is Elias. honestly that's that's a Game of Thrones like backstab a, move right there. I really respect. Yeah, that's a three moves ahead. The game. Yeah. Uh, I well another another trade for a defenseman um, that I thought we could talk about too that was uh, Holmgren and also was pretty bad that I think gets glossed over every once in a while was trading uh, their first round pick in 2008 for Steve Eminger. Uh, Steve Eminger played a total of 12 games for the Flyers, and the Flyers got Steve Eminger in a 2008 third for um, the 2008 first that they gave to Washington. They picked Jacob Desaris, a goalie, in the third round, didn't do anything. The Caps, with their first round pick in 2008, though, picked uh, some guy named John Carlson, who's doing um, who's doing all right. So he was there for the taking. And again, going down the draft history and uh, the gas with that is a like we could be here for days. But that's a slippery slope right there. My yeah, friend. but to you trade talk about a first <laughs> while we're here, <laughs> exactly. Hey, we don't need to talk with Kevin Marshall. But the trading of a first round pick for 12 games of Steve fucking Eminger at the start of a season to lose out on a guy that was. Like we saw the type of player that could have gotten John Carlson, I feel like is a well, is a pretty big. If you're talking about right-handed defenseman, I mean that could have oh, been yeah. Patrick Elias could have been. Yeah, he could have shut his mouth years later. But I think that goes back to show how little Holmgren ended up valuing draft picks. Like there was always a joke that Holmgren would just throw yeah. draft picks in with any deal he was doing. Like, oh, you want a second while we're here? I got a few lying around. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The guy just hated draft picks. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, that was, got that trade. I, I don't, I guess that trade isn't thought about as, as being that bad because they ended up getting Matt Carl for a bit too, which I know yeah, sounds like a crazy yeah. thing to say because Carl wasn't exactly, you know, number one amongst fans here, but he still was a pretty, he was a pretty good defenseman for a while. So He's I guess a pretty good defenseman. He had some that. very significant contributions to this team. Yeah, and yeah. He put up a lot of points for a defenseman. Oh, he's liked among us. It, like, <laughs> right, you know, right, you know, right. You know what I'm saying. Why doesn't he shoot? Uh, <laughs> yeah, why is it not checking people? So, um, that, so uh, just looking else? at the yeah, list yeah, here, I, we really hit a lot of the big Holmgren bullet points, but yeah, a, a few of the yeah. other ones worth mentioning. You got the Versti trade listed here. That one did not work out well. I was somewhat in favor of it but my god again you want to talk about chemistry and you want to talk about a guy who just did not have any remote chemistry with the team that would be chris versteeg holy shit yeah and that was uh and again another one they give up a first they give up a first for like half a season of versteeg and the first in a daily i mean they didn't pick the least picked uh stuart percy who I think he's in the AHL still. It doesn't matter where he is. He's not. Um, and uh, Josh Levo in the, the third round. But they, yeah, two first or two top end picks for uh, half a season of Stig, and then luckily they traded. Ended up trading him in the summer and got a pick that they used to pick uh, Gosses Beerwick. So it worked out a little bit, but still, yeah, not the Stig one was pretty, was pretty pretty bad too, right in that area. And then um, the pa- Patrick Maroon trade, which again, Steve, you know, we talk about. Patrick Maroon all the time, and I don't think he would be talked about as much if he wasn't on the line with McDavid for a season. But still, the Flyers did trade him away for pretty much, I mean, peanuts. They didn't, they didn't trade him away for anything. And Can you imagine still... 
how much this fan base would have latched on to Patrick Maroon just oh, being God, he a big been. slow winger who could <laughs> stand there in the crease and occasionally score some goals. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. my God. It would have been like, oh, oh my God. I'm forgetting. Time again. It would have been like Ty freaking McGinn all over again. Time again. Time again. Yeah. Time again with yeah, a little did. more, just a little more off <laughs> And people were upset yeah, that really about is. that time again trade. Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, there, there, were, was... there were rumors with Maroon that, like, and I, I, I wasn't around for this, so I can't confirm. Lock everyone. Yeah, but they, there were rumors, like, he got into a fight with his coach, right? And, like, that's yeah, why there was... they traded him. He there was, was something with the locker room goods. in the AHL. Yeah. yeah like, with the Phantoms. Was... Like, they had to get rid of him was the impression I got. And it like it never came to light what actually happened, but it was something along those lines of like a fight with the coach or like he was bad mouthing somebody else, and then he got traded, and they never really gave, they never really explained why he was traded because he apparently he was a promising prospect or it looked like he was on the path to the NHL. But I just enjoy the, you know, like fucking Sarah Valley a couple years ago wrote a like Patrick Maroon article and it was about like is this the biggest whiff of the Flyers? It's like no, the Flyers have missed a lot, and this was a guy that. Like scored nine goals on a line with Getzlaff and Perry. Like he's he's fine. I don't know. Like it he's took not... him forever to get to the NHL too. I mean, yeah, yeah. It he took him a while. And it was like, yeah. And it's like I get the idea of writing an article, but at the same time we're talking about the Flyers, and you know, now, no, he's just not near the. No, no, definitely. Not. It's <laughs> annoying that he won a cup, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you have Ham Hughes listed here. It actually reading your breakdown here this actually sounds like a positive because he traded ryan parent to nashville for signing rights yeah it ended up yeah i put that down because i was like i I remember them i would have paid someone to take ryan parent off that team (laughs) but then they traded his rights to pittsburgh they they were able to pawn him off on pittsburgh when after the flyers found out that he was only going to sign with vancouver they somehow packaged him and made pittsburgh give them an asset for him which was great yeah, which is pretty impressive. So, I, yeah, I remember the Dan Hughes angle as it being they traded an asset for him and then he didn't sign with the team, but I, I didn't remember. It was Ryan Pass slash. I forgot the... Uh... <laughs> really stretching yeah. the line here. Of the yeah, really, yeah. yeah. Brian, he, he played. He definitely played. You can't argue that. The one last thing I was going to say, because we've been hammering Holmgren, but just to speak to the, uh, the salary cap situation, I think one that people forget, the end of the 2008-09 season, with Jamie Fritch and David Sloan. And that was because the entire season he had been fighting to stay underneath the salary cap. And, yeah, Charlie, you can add if you remember, too. But the the end of the season, they needed to call up a defenseman. They needed to have a sixth defenseman for the roster, and they didn't have anything they could call up within the cap. So they had to sign David Sloan and, uh, for, like, the third or last game of the season. And then a couple of days later, Jamie Fritch played in the season finale against the Rangers. David Sloan played in a Flyers loss to the Rangers, skated 6:44 in that game. Jamie Fritch played 4:34 in the regular season finale loss to the Rangers, but he was on the ice. Blair Betts drove right past him on the game-losing goal, and that was the game that Flyers won that game. I believe they're the home seat against the Penguins. If they lose that game, they are on the road to start the series against the Penguins. And then the Penguins, yeah, we, we've talked about that fucking game six a million times. So I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but you know what I'm saying is the, he, because of the managing of the cap, it led to putting these schmucks in there. And then David Jamie Fritch gets walked on the, in the last game of the year because he's Jamie Fritch. And then that costs the Flyers a point. So, I like, that's one that I don't think people uh, remember a lot because there wasn't a big – it wasn't one big signing. It wasn't a big trade, but it was just the culmination of him doing these. I got it from uh, Ke- I wrote an article from Kevin, our buddy from Flyers Faithful, and 
Kevin Crispin, who I think is still in the slack, but he put it in the way of like Holmgren's entire tenure was just one crazy move and then two moves you'll figure out to pay for it back. So it was yeah. just you do do everything to stay underneath the cap and add a guy like Frisk Golf, and it's like, all right. We're just gonna trade the captain and the team's best goal scorer to accommodate it. It was like we'll figure it out. La- like we'll figure it out later. We got them underneath. Yeah, you know they're on a roster next year, but we'll figure it out from there. So all right, we can stop dunking on. It was, <laughs> we, we it was sheer. It was sheer chaos. The Paul Holmgren era. I mean, yeah. You, you got you got to give him give him that. Like it was never boring. The Paul Holmgren no. era was never boring. Oh yeah. There was always something going on. The Flyers were in every trade rumor, yeah. every signing rumor. Like. It must have been a blast to cover as a beer. <laughs> and I feel well, like he did. He pressed a lot. Pressed a lot. He pressed a lot of buttons from uh, the end of that shitty season to making them be able to rebound and get to the Eastern Conference Final the next year. Like in the beginning phases, he did a lot to kind of turn that team from being oh yeah dead yeah. last. Shit, and then shit Nick for Coburn. Yeah, yeah, and stuff and all the trades with Nashville. And then like he was, he was, he was balancing the uh, the you know, the ludicrous movements for a while, and then it just kind of fell apart. I think it really did start to fall apart after the summer of 2011, after you had the trade or a Richardson Carter, I think is when you start looking at all the trades, and it's kind of like, well, I mean, you could even argue, Craig, to bring up one more thing from your list here, that Matt Walker-Gagne trade might even be, I I know a lot of that is cap-driven, but, you know, that's even kind of where a lot of it starts breaking down because they bring in Sheridev. Sheridev's obviously shit for chemistry, and great goal scorer, but that's it. Uh, and great rivalry with some of the beat writers. <laughs> That's pretty much all sure <laughs> yeah, brought to the table. <laughs> yeah, and the Matt, yeah, the Matt Walker, and the Matt Walker one too was uh, like looking back at it, it was just a lot more. I think it was just painful because it was Gagne, but he ended up winning a cup with the Kings and was still serviceable. While meanwhile, it was Matt Walker who. You know, it's Matt Walker. Yeah. Matt Walker. I don't know what to yeah. say. That's that's all you yeah, can say about yeah, Matt Walker is like, that his yeah, name was so. Matt Walker. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all I remember. Yeah, that just sucked because it was Gagne. Like exactly. It was just yeah, he was such a like a legend at the time. You know, if there was, if there was like a player of the two thousand, I, I went back and forth with a commenter on this. Um, you know, when during one of my articles during during this whole quarantine pause and whatever of like every decade kind of had like its player of the decade you know it was you know the 70s was was clark and the 80s you can make a real strong case was brian prop and the 90s was lindros and the 2000s like didn't have anybody that was like obvious but if there was anybody it was probably gagne yeah he was there the whole time and he was good the whole time and he was a fan favorite and then they just like dumped him for cap reasons and it just felt it just felt wrong considering what he had done for the flyers yeah so well and here's the reason that, that so is, many yeah. people latched really onto that king's team that won the cup it wasn't really like people really liked mike richards they really couldn't give that much of a shit about jeff carter uh but it was simone <laughs> gagne getting to lift that cup that why yeah, people really latched onto that team and it was just like when Timonen won with the blackhawks believe me no, nobody wanted to see the blackhawks win again but seeing kimo Timonen, a beloved player here lift that cup was a rewarding feeling but it's yeah. all about Gagne, all about that good feeling, and seeing him just kind of unceremoniously dumped, just kind of it sucked. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really a gap. It was just a painful like looking back at it because again, I don't think he ended up he ended up playing like a couple half seasons after that. He had the one good run with uh, the Lightning in twenty ten eleven, and then played a bunch of games with the Kings and won in twenty twelve. But it wasn't like a it wasn't like a huge gap in terms of actual talent traded. It was just kind of like, why the fuck do you have to trade Gagne? Like we all, we all like him here. Matt Walker is not like, you know, he's not going to step in and be like a top pair defense defenseman. It wasn't, 
Wasn't needed. But... Wasn't, yeah. Not the best. Yeah. Not the best. Uh... The thing is about Paul Holmgren, as you said, it was never boring. Always swung for the fences. And when he hit, it like moves like Yager. It was a big, moves. popular... Moves like Yager. Oh, never mind. I didn't even mean it like that. There you go. I was but like, that's how I took it. I was not even going for that. But when he hit, it was great. And when he missed, oh boy, was it bad. That's... His biggest flaw is that Paul Holmgren was go big or go home. Ron Hextall's biggest flaw was the fact that Here he didn't go, go big. Nice. He stayed right in the middle, just kind of boring old Ron Hextall rebuild the team. And people faulted him for that at the end of the day. And I mean, there's good reason for that. I mean, there's Ron Hextall had a very, very mixed tenure here. But the biggest flaw that he had was that the team became boring under him and uninteresting to a lot of people. Uh yeah, I mean, I can agree with that. I was going to say Hextall's biggest, uh, I think his biggest gaffe is just the handling of Hextall. Um, and I don't, Yeah, yeah. maybe not even necessarily the hiring, I guess, because we've talked about it. I'll give him the hiring. I don't know how you because feel about they're, yeah, like, they're I, trying like, something yeah, like different, yeah. going outside the box. I will give him that. But it's how long he stood by his side, how he just refused to, to fire him or really even give him a shot across his bow, just stood loyal to Dave Hackstall, gave him all the, you know, just, uh, just yeah. seemed to last forever. Benefit of the doubt. Yeah. It, and it felt like it just went on for too long with it. So just him clinging on the Hackstall for like an extra. Yeah. I mean, it I felt like 10 years. Come in. Yeah. It felt like he was here for a little bit longer than he needed to be, but. Um, yeah, Chuck, what did you think about the Hackstall hiring? Because I don't think we've ever actually talked about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't blame him for the hire. I agree with you on that front. You know, it was you're thinking outside the box. You know, he was, you know, he was a coach that a lot of teams had interest in. It was just mm-hmm. no one thought they could have, anybody was ever going to be able to pry him from college, and the Flyers did, and it was like a cool hire, and it was exciting at the time. I mean, no one knew what he was, no one knew what he was like. But also, it felt good that it wasn't just a retread, and it wasn't like somebody they pulled from Flyers history to be coach again. Like it was something new, and it, uh, it yeah. played with what Hextall was trying to build, which is this idea of you know we're doing a new Flyers era, a new Flyers generation. But I'm with you in that, you know, it became abundantly clear this season with Elaine Vigneault and what he was oh, able God. to do with this team, like that Dave Hackstall was just not good at getting the most out of this roster. He just wasn't. And clearly, Elaine Vigneault showed what someone who is an established NHL coach can do with this team. And it was better this year, don't get me wrong. But, like, the, the, the gap in terms of, you know, just coaching ability, comfort level, relationships with the players, ability to to work the media to motivate players. Like, you you talk to Elaine Vigneault, and you're like, this guy knows how to be an NHL head coach. And yeah. Dave Axel, I think, was very clearly still learning how to be an NHL head coach. And Philadelphia probably isn't the kind of place you want to learn how to be an NHL head coach. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably Absolutely. Not. Yeah. No, no not, especially not with this media. You don't want to be like, you don't want to have the training <laughs> wheels on. They're just going to kick them out from under you and then that's throw you down a, a hill. I, no, that's a good point about like calling, like they're, like AV this year called out veterans, but he did it in a way that was just kind of like we need more from. They know it. We know they're good. Yeah. Like the, it wasn't a it wasn't a confrontational thing, but it let them know like, hey, look, like we're kind of acknowledging it. Like you're not going to get a free ride because which is kind of like 
you just kind of question if those things happen with Hackstall or if they happen under Hackstall. And then even the stuff in game, like the picking up int- intensity in the third or just aggressively still attacking in the third rather than sitting back with something that, yeah, Hackstall loved to, or AV likes to do that. Obviously, Hackstall didn't. And I wasn't sure if that was a talent thing or if it was just all coaching mentality. And yeah, well, the thing I guess about Hackstall for me was that he just didn't seem to be learning the lessons we needed him to be learning. By his third year, you know, you were hoping that he'd do xyz differently and he was still doing it the same way he'd always done it and we even saw when was that big nashville debacle with the that was with the like the fourth or fifth game of 2017-18 yeah yeah like that know, he, was yeah. such a big just mistake there and such a like obvious sign that he still was not learning still not anywhere near where we needed him to be and that's i think that's really where i think a lot of the fan frustration had i believe me it was up there but it really boiled over after that yeah i yeah because it just it felt like we just knew (laughs) it just felt like we could do a better job not knowing hockey or not being an nhl coach and then it turns out that some of the stuff he wasn't doing it, it seemed like we were kind of right with some of the stuff. I don't know. It just felt like he just wasn't fixing the glaring holes at times, which is, you know, after years of watching it, you just start to question why does it keep happening. But I, just, uh, yeah. I just go back to with, with Hackstall. Like, I, I, it, I'll always go back to this. His final game as head coach and starting Yuri Laterra for Oscar Limbaugh. Like, yeah. there is never... There's never been like a better example of a coach going down with his misguided views <laughs> as like there's no way anyone and this isn't even like a stats versus hockey men type thing. There's no way that anyone could watch both of those players and say even Oscar Lindblom in his first season and say Yuri Laterra is a better hockey <laughs> than Oscar Lindblom. There's no way. It's impossible. It's actually impossible to have believed oh, that. Yeah. And yet, in a game where Dave Haxall knew there was a non-zero chance <laughs> that it was his final game as an NHL head coach, he decided to go down with Yuri Laterra in the lineup and Oscar Limbaugh's <laughs> And it's just that, like, that was the, if, if you still had any bit of feeling that Dave Haxall should still be the coach, that should have extinguished it. Do you think, like, any of the assistant coaches at the time when he told them that, do you think Knobloch was just like, Fuck. I don't know. <laughs> She's like, all right, <laughs> hey, I'll see you later. I'll see you later, big fella. Yeah, I'll see you. And then, like, that was just, like, that was his last decision. Well, that that actually, you bring up the assistants. That's actually, to me, one of one of Hextall's other biggest gaffes is sticking with Ian LaPerriere as the penalty kill coach. Oh, yeah. Despite the fact that every single year, the penalty kill was terrible. Yeah. Uh, Every, I mean, the penalty kill, what was it going in the 20th? Like, going into last season, that became a horrible nightmare. We knew the penalty kill and the backup goaltending wasn't really, or the goaltending even was even, they were kind of question marks, and then Hextall's just like, all right, see what happens this year. And then we found out, like, nothing was what we were expecting to happen. So he just, yeah, keeping around the Perrier for years and the fucking PK was bad three years in that. How long was he here? Like six, five or six years. And it was, 
I think it was good for one year. His first year, he had the title of PK coach, and then it just all went downhill. But like that, yeah, everything he about blocked Hexel a shot like with his face. He can coach a PK. Thank you. He's just gonna coach it. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it's just like <laughs> these things keep happening, and Hextall just did not make adjustments to try and fix them. It just, it just kept toeing the line there, and that got so frustrating to fans. They weren't seeing change. They kept being told the prospects are coming, the prospects are coming. And I, I agree with properly developing them to a degree, but it definitely reached a point with the fan base where they just kept hearing about all the prospects and not actually seeing anybody outside of Ivan Provorov. Yeah. I Well, for me too. Uh, it also, because I was with him in the drafting and developing and everything but it was just the fact that like some it felt like the young kids still weren't even getting a chance to come up like this year nak was able to break through i don't know if that happens last year with the way hextall and hextall were kind of organizing the call-ups and the way the lines were set up like it just felt like a thing where he was drafting a lot of players and he didn't want them to develop he let them marinate in the, the minor leagues or not the minor leagues but the junior leagues and everything and then you know sometimes we're gonna crack the roster but that might just be a well, and it's more like, frustrating when you see the guys that he's getting as, like, throw-ins on these trades. Like, we'll look at the, the infamous Braden Shen trade, uh, where it's oh, yeah. Shen for Laterra, not just Laterra, <laughs> two firsts. <laughs> That's an important part of the trade, Straight guys. Up. Oh, my God. But, well, like, put, the fact that they yeah. get Laterra as clearly just a throw-in, just a conditional, like, all right, we'll give you two firsts, but you got to take this lump of coal off our hands that it is your Laterra. And he takes it, and then Dave Axel's like, oh, no, I'm going to play this guy a bunch. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> well, I think, I'm trying to remember if at the time they needed, uh, if they needed a roster player for uh, just, like, make the contracts work. I didn't know if one team was at the 50 contract limit or not. I don't. Unless, although no one next no, maybe no, it was. I, I think it was literally just that, Just like, straight up Lotero. Well, St. Louis needed to, needed to dump some cash. And okay, yeah, was. I don't know. They might have been able to do a deal without it, but I don't think they would have gotten two first-round picks if they yeah. didn't take on Laterra's deal. And Hextall was clearly looking to, you know, replenish the farm system for the future in the deal, so he figured what the hell, which honestly would have been okay had they just parked Laterra in the minors for yeah. two seasons. Like, that yeah. would have been fine. But then they just decided to sell the fans that he was an all-star along the board. <laughs> yeah, the good old Bill Clement <laughs> line that we love, yeah. I think, and I think that's part of the, see, because I put that as one of Hextall's gap was his Shen trade, even though I still think, I'm sorry, anytime you give me two first for Brian Shen, I'm going to do it. And I know he won the cup last year with the Blues, but he scored like 22 goals in 90-something games. So, like, you know, he was important to that team, but I don't think, I think there's at least four or five guys who could probably put before him. It wasn't like the, it wasn't like the Sabres who gave, the, the Blues, Ryan O'Reilly for like fucking Tage Thompson and company last year. It was the bulk of this trade was the first two, uh, the two first round picks. And uh, for Austin Farabee, look all right so far. We'll see how it pans out. But like, I look at it like, uh, like that the the Kings trade where like if I'm the Blues, I'm like fuck yeah, I won that Shen trade. We just oh, yeah, won the Cup. Like I, but like I think the Flyers still have. I I don't know. I want to see what Frost and Farabee become because I think there's a chance they could both be two top six guys. So. In that trade, if you're telling me I gotta watch Lotera play hockey for a couple of years to get two top six guys for Braden Shen, I'm doing it. I don't know. I'm I'm taking that trade. But I can see but right now, again, it's up in the air, so I count that as one of Hextall's gas because right now it's not 
It, it, it doesn't look amazing like two, at this moment. Yeah, yeah. like two years but out, yeah, or a couple years I think out we, from the trade. It doesn't look I great. think most of us can agree that out of that core, Braden Shen was the most tradable asset the Flyers had at that time. Yeah, there's, or I think so. Like, looking back at it um, that summer, like, it was, the Flyers didn't really use him. Well, yeah, Charlie wrote that big piece about him back then, too, of, like, the, the Flyers had a Braden Shen problem or something. Of just, like, yeah. they didn't, yeah, like, he just wasn't, really producing a lot of five of five and he was a guy that seemed like on the power play he was leashing off the success of other guys we knew dominated on the power play like Giroux and Simmons and I mean even a couple of years back then Ghost um so it felt like a guy that like you could have yeah like if you had to move somebody off the core it would have been that fucking dude like you're not trading Simmons you're not trading Giroux you're not trading Voracek and I would classify him and Couturier as the other like you're not trading Couturier either so it was him yeah and it came after a season where they needed to do something, I felt like. And I don't know. Everything with that trade, I'm still all right with. I just, uh, I can, it could lead to a pretty big gaffe <laughs> if Frost and Kirby end up not doing anything. Yeah. It was just a weird trade because, like, I do think there was a feeling among the fan base that, like, a trade or a firing or something, like, had to happen for the fan base to be shown that like Hextall in the front office wasn't satisfied with the, with what was going on. So I think from that level, like it was good. Granted that probably got like pushed to the side a little bit after they jumped up to two, because then everybody was just excited. They're getting all the patch. Mm. But yeah, sure. I do think there was an element of like, okay, show us that you're not satisfied with how this is going. And that made sense. But then there was just, everybody was kind of on the fence about the trade because they didn't get better. Like, it was very yeah. much a oh, future yeah. trade, which just showed everybody even more that, oh, Ron Hexall doesn't care about winning now. He only cares about, like, this nebulous future. And that was where you got that, like, three years away from being three years away joke that, like, that came up. Which yeah. is this idea of, like, well, we're just kicking – with this trade, we're just kicking the can down the road another three, four years until these two first-round picks are good. And because of that, there were a lot of fans that understandably were just sick of it. They were sick of waiting. And, you know, you can argue that what Hextall did was necessary in a way, and I think that's mostly true. But the hard truth, and I made this point in a couple of my comms, is that you basically spent 50 years training your fan base to expect this, like, to use the Oakland Raiders term, this, like, commitment to excellence, this, like, we're going to try to win every year. We, you guys deserve a Stanley Cup, and we're going to do everything we can to get it for you. And a lot of what Hexall did was kind of like breaking that unspoken pact. It was like, no, we're not mm -hmm. going to do everything we can do to win you a cup now because we're trying to win you a cup in five years and we're smarter than you and this is the only way it's going to work. And I'm not saying he was wrong, but I'm saying that like I understand why a vocal segment of the fan base felt betrayed because yeah. it was just so different from everything that the Flyers had stood for stood for, for so long. Oh, absolutely. No. I mean, yes. looking at, you know, we just talked about Holmgren, who very much continue, continued the Bobby Clark tradition of just going balls to the wall, let's get it done and do whatever we can. I mean, it took this franchise forever to learn about the salary cap because they were just used to spending as much as they could to get every great player. I mean, yeah. they were they were yeah. basically hockey Yankees for the longest time as far as Yeah, it used to not matter. <laughs> I will spend whatever I have to to, you know, Ed Snyder could go out there and just open the checkbook and say, all right, who do we got to sign to make this happen? Let's make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's, 
fix up both your issues. Yeah, that was there used to not be a salary cap, so it used to be that Ed Snyder just swinging. And then, uh, but uh, you can't. I don't think you can win like that now. And I think that's why if Hexel just labeled it more as a rebuild, I think that would have worked out better for him. I, I think, think Hexel's biggest problem was that he needed to add more NHL talent and do more to you know, win a little bit more than he did. And he kept, yeah. Oh, rather. Yeah. You look at the guys that you have listed here. He did that weird Hartnell trade for RJ Umberger that slightly helped them in the cap, which they traded a popular which... player for basically a hot fried trash. It ended up. Yeah. <laughs> it not work out. Yeah. He was trying to be savvy with like some chaos space. It ended up just yeah. Yeah, not working out at all. Yeah. <laughs> Dale Weiss, Boyd Gordon, yeah. just like yeah. little, just, Ugh, moves that didn't help anything. And that's really most of what he has to show. I mean, his big signing is JVR, and that's got people torn also. And ultimately, I mean, Hextel's got a pretty meh tenure, except for really helping to clear out the cap space and get rid of, a lot say, of the, the trash from the end of uh, Paul Holmgren's tenure. Paul Holmgren left this team in very bad cap situations, and Hextel spent half his time just getting the team out of that cap situation. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say, I think on Hexel, we're still waiting on a lot of these. Uh, we're going to have to wait for the, the draft fix to pan out and shit, too. Because yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that was a lot like, of his thing. That was, that was the thing with Hexel, and Steve, you pointed out, it's just that he, he was bad at evaluating those, like, bottom of the lineup guys. Like, he just couldn't, just terrible. couldn't seem to figure just out so how bad. to fill out a lineup. He just couldn't do it. <laughs> and luckily, it seems like, at least so far, Fletcher has been good at it. You know, it seems like he's better at identifying, like, the Tyler Pitlicks, who yeah. are actually useful, but can, like, be cheap and fill out a lineup, whereas Hextall would give you Yuri Laterra and Dale Weiss. And then the, wor- the worst part about it wasn't even, like, he'd give you these shitty players. Like, okay, you know what? Every GM's going to make mistakes. But then he just wouldn't admit that they were shit. Right. Yeah, and and that was the cry. Like, like Fletcher has gotten Chris Stewart's, and they're bad. And you know what? In two months, they're gone. Like, yeah. if if Ron Hextall would have would have signed Chris Stewart, Chris Stewart would have played eighty games. Yeah, <laughs> he would have been the guy that was sitting Limblom in game in Hextall's final yeah. game. Yeah, no, exactly. That is the thing that yeah, it was. Uh, he used to be so bad with some of the signings and we had to live with those signings. That's why, and I still, I t- it took me this year to kind of realize that Fletcher just, you know, not every GM is fucking terrible when it comes to filling in the bottom six. Like every move I feel like Fletcher has done besides the, the Stewart one has been passable. Like there's really not much just, to hate about any of the moves. Like they're all, they've all worked out pretty well. You just have to acknowledge as a GM that those guys are replaceable. And you, then you have to have enough self-awareness and humility to, to, to realize that, like, just because I signed or traded for a guy doesn't mean that he's inherently good. Like, yeah. he might suck. And if he sucks, you got to get rid of him. You can't just keep throwing more ice time and more games at bad players. <laughs> yes. And that's what Hextall kept doing with Dale Weiss and Yuri Leterra. It's like, just send him down to the minors. It's not going to kill you. They're minors. bad. Yeah. Everybody knows they're bad. Stop playing them. <laughs> it started off so hopeful, too, when they sent Andrew McDonald down early in Ron yeah, Hextall's yeah. tenure. But then it came back and just wouldn't leave ever until they had to buy him out. Oh, yeah. What yeah, there a was... time to be alive. What a time to be alive. 
Now, we could probably yeah. talk about this for the rest of the, the decade, essentially, but uh, we got a few more guests we want to get to, and we talked to, you know, about Ron Hextall and Paul Holmgren's very different styles. Paul Holmgren's probably most similar to Bobby Clark, and Clark, you know, he had some gaffes, all right? He had some big He had some fun. We could, yeah. we could probably talk about this for two years, but let's talk about some of the big ones. <laughs> I mean... First off, I mean, he's. We of course have the mispronouncing Claude first name when he drafted him. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a minor so one, but it's worth mentioning. He forgot his name. Oh it was so bad. It's a great clip if you've never seen it. It's definitely worth looking up. Whew. Oh my god! I mean, yeah. there's just so many other little ones. We talked about Chris Gratton a few weeks ago back in '97. Yeah, we talked about Chris Gratton. Uh, some of the other ones I got. I mean, the Adam Oates trade. I always thought was a little. They gave up Maxime Ouellette and three picks, their first, second, and third in 2002 for Adam Oates, who played all 10 games for the Flyers in 2001-02. And then that was the end of his, that was the end of his time in Philly. And uh, signed with the Ducks after that, but he gave up four assets for 14 games. Seems a little bit, seems like a lot. Even though it's Adam Oates, it seems like a little bit, uh, a little bit too much, especially at that point in his career. But, uh, what other ones? Yeah, Oates uh, didn't Patrick, work out well. Oh, yeah. Gratton's bad. Patrick Sharp. Is that, I think Patrick Sharp trade. Say. Yeah, uh, Patrick Sharp and Eric Meloge for Matt Ellison in a 2006 third, which ironically, a little fun fact for you guys, became Ryan White. So there you go. Next time you guys talk about the Patrick Sharp trade, oh, wow. talk about that one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Billy Tibbetts, which uh, I believe is one good enough for everybody in this room. Yeah, he's... Uh, he's yeah, that, that feels like top five at least. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm gonna say just because of everything, because of who he was. So we'll we'll put that on the top five. March of 2002. For those that don't know who Billy Tibbetts are, I have you. But March of 2002 traded uh, Kent Manderville to the Penguins for Billy Tibbetts. Uh, so we got Billy Tibbetts from the Penguins, one assist in 69 penalty minutes and nine games for Philadelphia back in 2001, 2002. Same season they got fucking Oates. So yeah, Clark was uh, feeling it that year. But Tibbetts 1994. Pleaded guilty to statutory rape while he was 17, dated a 15-year-old girl, and then also ran the issues with assault and battery charges and, and also intimidating witnesses in relation to that. And then also, apparently, he was involved in two high-speed chases uh, with the police in 2019. So, not the best person. And he got traded away for... I feel like Kent Manderville at the time was a pretty big fan favorite, or was pretty popular amongst fans. I always so, liked Kent Manderville. I, was, yeah, just, I always liked him, too. Yeah, like, you know, you can't count on him for a goal, but he, he, he was definitely playing. Um, he just, uh, that was, I felt like that was playing. a pretty big gaffe. That's, yeah, he's, he'll a play a lot of play. games in a row without scoring. <laughs> uh, what other ones here? Mike Rasge signing. I said Michael Hans here for Kyle Calder, the low-key one that wasn't really a... Kept I mean, Danny Markoff for Justin Williams, too. For me, at the end of the day, Bob Clark's biggest failure as Flyers GM all comes down to Eric Lindros. Everything with Eric Lindros, how he handled the Eric Lindros situation, one of the most popular, one of the best players in Flyers history, and the fact that it took a decade for the Flyers to even, like, acknowledge his existence again is just crazy to a lot of people today, and it should be. I mean, there's there's the saga in the Nashville Hotel, which you mentioned here, but there's also just everything, and that was just a whole thing with Lindros... Diagnosed with a rib injury, and yeah. Keith Jones found him in a tub, pale and cold. Uh, it, it, the fact that he had internal bleeding, he had a collapsed lung, 
and the team didn't notice it, and Eric Lindros almost died, is... I don't know if that's on Bob Clark in particular, but the Flyers as an organization as a whole, that's one of the lowest moments I can think of. I don't know if that would have necessarily been entirely on him, but I think he played a role in it. And also, he didn't really help the matter after that incident. So, I don't know. I'm still giving him some blame for everything that went down in Nashville around that time. But, uh, yeah, just literally everything about it. The decision to almost fly him home that night when he probably wouldn't have died if he did. Or I think they determined that he would have if he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything with how they interacted with Lindros' parents afterwards and how he got pretty much mocked because his parents were like, hey, you almost killed our son. And then they were like, oh, you had to have your parents. Like, I remember like people saying that, like, oh, your parents have to go fight your battles. It's like, dude almost died of a collapsed law. I don't know. Like, that seems like a thing that might become like a legal issue. And then everything with the captaincy and Eric Desjardins, where they brought in the news, they brought in like the news crew to broadcast stitching the sea on Desjardins' jersey. Like, it was just everything about, like, just the way they handled the end of Lindros' time here. It was, it was just not, it was a huge gaffe. All of it is, I'm putting it as one gaffe that should be in the top five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Slash, I mean, I, I think that is a case for number one. Like, you're yeah. talking about a guy who is the face of the franchise, you know, one of the, if not the most popular player on the team. And for, like, a two-, three-year period, Clark and the front office basically went on a public relations blitz to turn him into a villain in the eyes of the fans because they didn't believe that concussions were actually that big of a deal. Yeah. Like, that's really what it all stemmed from. They just thought he was yeah. a wimp. And he wasn't willing to play for the good of the team. And he was, you know, he they thought they had coddled him for so long that now he was making these headaches out to be like a big deal because, well, we played through them when we were, when we were, you know, yeah. on, we were in the NHL. And yeah. like, there's nothing that's aged worse about that era than all the takes oh, about Draws concussions. If because you, now we know, yeah. we know how serious they had to have been. I, well, I remember, and I think, and I don't want to. I don't want to throw out his name, but I read a book. I think it was from Meltzer that talked about like the incident back then. And like Lindros playing one time, he's had like a saw with like a tint, a yellow one night. And they were like, all right, keep playing. And then like another time they just gave him like, they give him like an Advil or something. Cause he said he had headaches cause he had a concussion and they just popped some Advil one back in there. So it was like stuff like that where it's just like, what the fuck are you like? How is that a thing that happened? Ever? It's the old rub some dirt then, on it attitude. Yeah, just get back out there, get back yeah. in there, and it's it's aged incredibly poorly, as you said, Charlie. And it's it, it, it the the handling of that I think did more damage to the the Flyers' reputation in this town and people being hockey fans than anything else. I mean, I've Ooh, talked yeah. to people who pretty much stopped watching after Lindros got. Uh, the final or the final big hit from Scott Stevens in a Flyers uniform, and everything to do with that just was such a turnoff to people. And just you're talking about one of the biggest and best players in the world for a, a couple of years, and the fact that the Flyers didn't even want to acknowledge his existence for like ten years after he <laughs> left the team. Yeah. I, I talk about that. I've got the DVD collection here of the Flyers' greatest games, and there's nothing with Eric Lindros to be found in that. And wow. I think that says wow. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he had some all right games here. He, he had some shining moments with Philadelphia. So it really. Just a few. 
Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, he was, he was all right. Yeah, I guess. Uh, all things considered, <laughs> like, it should be. Yeah, this is probably number one, honestly. Well, because then I, I thought, I mean, especially for, uh, like, people our age, he was, Lindros was the reason I got into hockey. So that whole situation, you know, we're talking about the early 2000s and uh, no internet and all going based off, you know, what I hear on the radio and what I'm getting from family. It was uh, my idea Lindros was a little different back then. It, it was built up like he was just being just being a wimp about stuff. He's just got to get back out there and play. And then, like, now when I start going back and I start hearing these stories that, like, were all, like, WIP and shit when I was in Maryland, I'm like, oh, that happened. And I'm like, oh, this happened. I'm like, oh, my God, why did he stay? Like, why would he even try and come back? <laughs> if I was him, I don't think I would have even, even given uh, the Flyers a second chance. But I don't know. I'm glad it's they just, have a good relationship now. And I am, too. And, and he can yeah, be I mean, a face him. franchise again. And they have honored yeah. him properly. Yeah. But it took much longer than it should have and it's it's just a huge problem in franchise history but again at least they have taken the steps to make it right i don't know what the private conversations they've had with lindros are but the fact that he comes out to events now and is proudly you know showing the flyers logo i think he's a team ambassador now yeah i think yeah, that was tough. yeah. it's great stuff for me. it makes me feel better as a fan in general yeah, like we spend a lot of time on the show, justifiably so, you know, bashing Paul Holmgren for his numerous gaffes. But one thing that he does deserve a lot of credit uh, for is yeah. that he was the guy who spearheaded that. He was the guy who spearheaded the one kind of mending those bridges. Yeah, with uh, with Lindros. Yeah. Like no one wanted to be the person who kind of stuck their neck out and tried to to extend the olive branch. And Holmgren was like, you know what? we can't have these alumni games. We can't have this, you know, celebration of hockey in Philadelphia without Eric Lindros involved. We can't do it. Like, it's just not an honest way to do it. He's such a, you know, a pivotal, essential part of Flyers history. So he sucked it up and he made the call and then he made another call and then he made another call. And eventually they started working through their issues and he came back and, you know, you got the Legion of doom out there at, at CBP and like that probably doesn't happen if Paul Holmgren isn't the guy who swallows his pride and probably has to listen to Lindros understandably ripping the organization on phone calls, you know, of all the shit they did to him. And, you know, he just kind of listened and, you know, talked it out and eventually got to the point where Lindros was okay with giving another go in a Flyers uniform. And I think Holmgren deserves a lot of credit for that because I don't think, I don't think there are many people that would have, done what he did in that situation i completely no, agree charlie yeah, and, and for him to, to stick his neck out as you said and and really take up that cause and make that right is huge for a lot of people and yeah. that was such a great moment that that entire alumni experience at citizens bank park i'd say that's a top flyer one of the top flyers moments of even the last like 15 20 years one of the top ones is just seeing all those guys out there again seeing lindros and the clear skate together seeing bernie out there making a couple saves at his age like yeah great moments and it's because paul holmgren did make that take that risk to try and make everything right and talk to lindros and and reunite the franchise and one of the best players of all time yeah yeah, it's true. I guess we should do a uh, not the dunk on Paul Holmgren because he did do he did do things here that were cool and good, and that was one I completely I, I forgot all about the twenty twelve Winter Classic. Yeah, it's a huge because that was bag. I remember got... uh, Lindros and Claire scoring a goal and being like, "Holy shit!" Now I'm old. 
this sucks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Holmgren, it's it's a huge mixed bag at the end of the day. He did some great things for this franchise. He, you know, was a major reason that this franchise made that run in 2010. Uh, the moves he made, really, you know, making that ballsy Prager move. And that's the Flyers don't Trade get to that. Trade for Leno. Yeah. Leno was Leno a fantastic season, yeah. move. Yeah. Yeah. So like he again, there was a while where he pressed the right buttons and all that madness, and it would form something that resembled a pretty dangerous playoff team. But then all the stuff behind that was like a week of like, all right, how are we going to fit this third pair defenseman underneath the roster, like underneath sour cap, and move two other pieces? So it was just a lot of like, all on the ice, it was entertaining and fun as fuck. But then it was just they couldn't keep going. Yeah, well, uh, I think that's. I look. I honestly could talk about Eric Montross for. Oh yeah. Like, I, I now I keep upping the ante with uh, the amount of I'm time we talk about uh, these things. But are there yeah. any other major gaffes you wanted to mention uh, before we sign off? I mean, the only other one I see here that I really wanted to mention is you have uh, Mike Ricci over yeah, the the draft and I could man, I could yeah. just fire through the other ones I got down here that were like well, the, uh, I had the Leon Stickle pole. I, I wanted to just comment on that one oh, okay. because that yeah. one I mean that's one of those things that you can almost completely attribute to the Flyers just not really going for European players that often in that era. <laughs> and that that was a problem the franchise had for a long time. I mean they really went with this preference for big Canadian and American players, North American yeah. players. Oh yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the things that's helped them out more recently is going back. Like there was a joke for a long time that the Flyers just would not draft or sign Russians at all. And I think Ivan Provorov has become one of the biggest I, examples of them going yeah. against the grain with that. And obviously he's worked out fantastic. True. I was, was going to say, I remember 2015 being a little nervous about Lawson Kraus. So I'm happy that they ended up going with, uh, with Provorov for that. <laughs> but I feel, yeah, I think, um... yeah, yeah. I, I think if I remember correctly, um, one of like the last, I don't know if it was one of the last, but it was probably like about a month before he unfortunately got laid off. Dave Isaac did a story on the, the Ricci Yager, uh, thing like picking Ricci over Yager. And I think he, you know, he interviewed the GM of the flyers at the time, um, you know, years and years later. And basically what he had said was that like the scouts agreed in the room that Yager was like the more talented player with like the higher upside. But they had this stuck in their heads that Mike Ricci was going to be the next Bobby Clark. Oh boy! And that was that was that was what it was. It was that Ricci is the next Bobby Clark, and we can't let him go, let him pass us by because he's the next Clarky. Oh, that hurts to hear that opinion. Yep. I mean, that, and that's one of the problems with the Flyers for the longest time is that you have the Flyer way and drafting the Flyer way and wanting to build teams in this Flyers mold. Uh, building teams made of prototypical flyers. And it's only recently that the flyers have started to learn more about just how valuable speed is to the game and skill and speed. Like it sounds silly, but it's and true. Europeans, I mean, yeah. they, they went for gritty Russians. grinding players for the longest time. And now they have to adapt to the game and it's taken the flyers a bit, but it seems like they are finally adapting to the modern NHL. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely. And I think part of that, uh, well, I think Hextall did pick some Russians there. Some European players did help with that. But, um, yeah. Uh, all right, should I go through the rest of these uh, these gas real quick? The rest of the fuck-ups? That, that, that Mason goal 
Oh man. Oh god, yeah, I did. Yeah, Steve I forgot, Mason. I forgot about. I forgot about that one. I think it was Jason Schmidt. It doesn't fucking matter. The guy, the, some capital put a shot in from the red line in game two, and I remember being, well, I remember being pissed about that game because I was watching it with Caps fans at, at my buddy's house, and also because the Flyers were actually playing well in that game, <laughs> and then that goal went in from center ice, and then F Couturier, and I was like, all right, I fucking hate this series. This is the worst series of my life now. <laughs> I swear. I just think uh, that like. Oh, go go ahead. Steve. Well, I was gonna say, I swear, John Van Beesbrook also let one in from center ice where he was like, he lost it in the lights. A guy shot it up real high, oh, God. and it went All over right. his head and back into the net. Oh yeah, I have to look that up. I don't remember that one. But what were Charlie, you what were you saying on the Mason? No, I was just gonna say that, like, I don't know if I've ever seen one single play turn an entire fan base against a guy as much as that play did with mason because mason before that goal that he allowed i think he was generally well liked by flyers fans and i think for a lot of flyers fans they just could never get that out of their memory that like from that moment on the first thing you thought of when you heard steve mason's name was that goal and then the idea that you were ever going to give him the benefit of the doubt ever again, regardless of how many good games he had, regardless of his numbers, it just wasn't going to happen because he was that guy who gave up that terrible goal in the playoffs here. That is, I don't think you're going to come across the definition of like some Philadelphia sports fans approach to every athlete, but I think you just nailed it. But Mason makes one mistake and it doesn't matter what else happened. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He posted like a fucking 920 for those 2014, 15 flyers where like we could have been on the top line. It was that, yeah. Unless yeah, you're Doc or Chase Utley, people ain't forgetting. You only get one. Yeah, you're only, yeah. You're not... <laughs> it was yeah, just but that, that bad, though. It was so bad. It was bad. No, you're right. Yeah, and I remember, and it's funny, because I think 2014 is what got people, because I think a lot of people question the trade, because like Steve, you said before, where you're kind of like, I don't really. And then the 2014 series is when I think people got on board, because he did, he only played half that series and did pretty damn good, and then 2016 is where he lost everybody. That goal was... Fucking something else. Uh, I mean, other magnificent goals in Flyers history. Uh, Brandon Manning's tip passed, I believe it was Steve Mason or Norberth in 2017 in Boston. That team that must game. have set a record Brandon for own goals, right? Like, it just felt like they were screening their sucks. own goal oh, game. It's those 50, 50th anniversary jerseys. They really wanted to drive home the point. This is the one fucking season we're wearing them. <laughs> if you don't take them away, we're going to keep scoring on ourselves. <laughs> but that was Brandon Manning. I just remember, I think it was like 3.1 seconds were left. And it was just such an innocent shot from the blue line. And he was like, I got to get a stick on this. Really test our goalie out, see what it's all about. Um, I'm just going to say that Brandon Manning's entire tenure was a gaffe. Uh, that's, yeah, that's fair. Man, there was... You want to talk <laughs> yeah. about like that? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, you want to talk about that process of like watching a prospect and be like, oh man, he's finally going to make it. This is He's going to be he's gonna be helpful. And then it was Brandon Manning's career. It was just not worth the amount of time we had to watch him with the Phantoms. It was just not... God, he was so fucking bad. Um, People called him ho- homeless Mike Richards, right? Yeah. Mike, uh, Lil Dicky. <laughs> he also looks like Lil Dicky, too, a little bit. Yeah. But we, homeless Mike Richards is exactly... <laughs> I hadn't heard that before, and I love Oh, God. It. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, what, I said uh, Czech Monik picking up his glove against Toronto. Uh, this is the one I always go back to as well because it's still seared into my mind. Robert Reichel had the puck in the corner scored against Czech Monica as he was looking at the ice, picking up his glove. It was the first goal and an eventual 2-1 overtime loss for the uh, Flyers in Game 6 in 2003. 
So that I count that gaffe. And then also uh, earlier this year, they fired Derek Settlemeyer as the equipment manager, and now they have to go play in a COVID tournament. So now you don't. I don't even know if I can trust the Flyers equipment manager. I, I mean, I was I was a big fan of Derek Settlemeyer for years. I think he was let go. Uh, you know, I don't know. Not for the right reasons. I'm, what I'm saying is, is I want Derek Settlemeyer back behind the bench. Is what that's, I'm getting. At. That's what you're saying. And that's my push. I'm starting that push today. Yeah, let's get him back for uh, <laughs> this tournament that's about to happen in August. You got the Mike oh, Ratchie signing listed here. My God, yeah, dude. is that just the entire philosophy of the franchise coming back from yep, that was a philosophy. the lockout yeah, like they did was just, yeah. my God. Like, I was going to put the uh, McLaren trade too, uh, Kyle McLaren, but that got voided. So I guess the league stepped in to stop that gap from happening. So shout out to the NHL. <laughs> Um, Speaking of stuff that people stepped in to stop from happening, how about the Dan uh, Cleary signing? Dan Cleary signing. I was thinking about Agnes, too. The Dan Cleary <laughs> signing, the Paul Ranger for Drew trade. Uh, where are some other bullshit ones that like almost oh. happened? And then other people around the league were like, God. look, I can't do this to you. Don't do this. <laughs> the <laughs> Ranger like, for Drew trade. Don't do this. <laughs> like the NHL video game GM or uh, like uh, franchise yeah. manager stepped in and said, we can't accept this trade. That's just it's implausible yeah it's like no <laughs> uh i mean oh, no. okay that's uh unless you guys got any uh we're trying to hide from any slash info on the outline that is i think we've covered all the ones that i could think of we have i think we've we've rounded the bases uh, multiple yeah. times on this but i mean your big ones at the end of the day handling of lindros for sure billy tibbets I, I, I would say i would love Bobrovsky and Brzgalov into one wonderful shit sandwich of a gaff here. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair too, yeah. Because he fair. wouldn't have requested that trade if Brzgalov wasn't here. Right? Yeah. But I believe it, yeah. Yeah, There's absolutely. Just ha- that whole, you know, Ed Snyder, Paul Holmgren handling of gold, and I'll throw Peter Laviolette into the mix there too. That All of that gets thrown in, and it's just one big debacle right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty big one. So, uh, so that's three. Then we AMAC. A, yeah, AMAC's got to be another one. Um, I think we can And then, I mean, there. would you list Dave Hackstall as uh, an all-time Flyers gaff? I mean, if we're going to do recent years, and I think everything that comes with it, I would lean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, because there's just there's a lot of time wasted there. I, I know that sounds like the meanest yeah. way to put it, but, like, there was... He should have been fired a lot earlier. The, the franchise was kind of stuck in motion with just trying to collect prospects at the time. They weren't really moving anywhere in the NHL. Like, in terms of contending in the NHL, they weren't going anywhere. So the decision not to just fire Hackstall and get it over with, I think, is... I will put it up there as one of the bigger gaps. I don't know about top five, but, like, it, it's up there. I almost just want to, like, just call it, like, Ron Hextall's stubbornness. Like, you have, I'm like, you know how in, like, Greek... You know how in, like, Greek tragedies, like, the, the hero has, like, a fatal flaw? Like, that was Ron Hextall's fatal flaw, was just the stubbornness. And that's, like, what caused his downfall. Okay. That, that, that's kind of... But it, it's, a, it's a little bit of catch-all, yeah. but I don't know. No, it kind of works. Uh, that, that, that does summarize a lot of what the issues were, yeah. That's fair. I, I will allow it. Ron Hextall's stubbornness is up there in the all-time gaps. And I think we need one more. I think we need one more. Well, do we have five? We have I think we Lindros Tibbets. I think that might be five. Lindros, uh, Lindros Tibbets, Hackstall, goalie management. Uh, yeah, the, the goalie debacle. 
Hextall Stubbornness, and AMAC. Yeah, oh yeah, there we go. That is fine. There we go. Yeah. AMAC <laughs> ribbon. That starfish-shaped ribbon on the top. Of I can't believe we just <laughs> gotta be starfish fans. I love how we talked about a bunch of this, and like three of them are just shit we just lived through, like in the last couple of years. That's the Flyers timeline we're on currently. <laughs> it's just enduring pain. <laughs> it's, it's a just franchise that yeah. starts out so well and has just really hit rough waters in the past 25, 30 years. Ah, they're yeah. I think they're turning. I feel like they're getting better now. It's a good time right now, and hopefully once we see hockey played again, the Flyers continue with those good times. I wanted to say this before I, you know, I would have liked to have seen how the 2019-20 season had gone before it got interrupted. Not saying it shouldn't have been interrupted or anything, or don't ensure that. I'm saying, like, it would have been nice if we lived. If this was a normal year for 2020, I wonder how far the Flyers would have gotten in the postseason. So I think they were built to survive. You know, 2020, nothing... Nothing good is happening in 2020. So that's just <laughs> not, not, a lot, not a lot of great stuff going on. It's no. not a great year. No, not at all. <laughs> Folks, that was a lot of gaffes, and thank you for sticking with us through all of them. If you have any feedback for us, the best place is on Twitter. Charlie, where can people reach you on Twitter? Uh, so my handle is charlieo underscore con. Uh, yeah, if you don't follow me, I guess you can. That's I'm cool. sure you probably follow Charlie. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, it goes without saying. You know what? We're going to say it anyway because that's what we do. Charlie, you know, everybody knows Charlie. Charlie's great. Craig, where can people reach you on Twitter? Uh, sports underscore R underscore bat. And uh, have the, uh, I'm going to write a bunch of articles why about why I hate some NHL teams this week. So I have the uh, Habs, Leafs, and lightning get them in the next day or two you got all the good be pretty easy i hate some of those yeah i do hate some of those there's gonna be a lot about ty domi in there and darcy tucker and uh thomas blakanich and his stupid fucking turtleneck there'll be some stuff in there i'll get i'll get some stuff out so yeah (laughs) and then uh fly purpley on friday and then uh yeah i do want to start looking at the round robin i'm gonna start looking at uh the how goals are scored between the Flyers and whatever their first round opponents are. So, or the first, the round robin opponents. So I was going to go back and track, um, pretty much just like break down the series a little bit more. I know Kurt did some of that already, but I thought I'd go back and since it's probably been like a month or so since Kurt did those to go back and take another look since we're still waiting on it. What, what's the well, like you July thirteenth? Yeah, I, I say that's a that's a main role I live by. If Kurt doesn't do it, to me, that's a new idea, and I can do it. So I'll take all the uh, creative uh, credit for what Kurt's doing, and I'll just yeah, put my name on it. Kurt has an idea, you just repeated it, and now it's your idea. Yeah, that's, not, that's my idea. So I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty funny and smart if you go by that. So I uh, so look for those hate articles, and then perbs later in the week. All right, you can reach me at flyperbly or at Estevamba for your hockey needs. Please make it flyperbly. Be sure to follow BSH Radio and Broad Street Hockey. Subscribe, rate, all that great stuff. Folks, that's all we got. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, in the words of the great Gene Hart, good night and good hockey. Hello, everybody. This is Fly Purbly. It is a podcast about hockey, mostly the Flyers, but also other hockey things, like other hockey teams that play the sport of hockey. Steve, but not Steve Hartnell and Craig, but not Craig Ruby. No, 